You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer, and I am here with my sidekick, co-host, partner in crime, right-hand man, Batman to my Robin. I, I, I made myself Robin just to make you, you know, just to pump you up a little bit. Matt Hartwell, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> with that introduction, I love it, buddy. I mean, you're trying to rap, rival our uh, boys over at Out of the Blue over there with that introduction. Well, nobody can touch the Out of the Blue boys, but over here on the BHB pod, we do the best we can, and we have a great show for our listeners. But before we get started, did you notice what I'm wearing today? Absolutely, man. It, uh, it looks like some, some fine attire with, uh, with yours truly, the BHB pod emblem on it. Where'd you get that? That's exactly right, Matt. I am rocking the Big House Bleachers pod merchandise t-shirt. We got some cool stuff. You know what would be cool? If the people that listen to the Big House Bleachers podcast had a place to buy BHB pod merch, does that exist? It does. In fact, uh, we just launched a website, mazeworld.com, no O, so uh, mazeworldno.com. Uh, and there you can find uh, some of our customized merchandise as well as all of your, uh, your, your home site apparel for anything BHB related, uh, mugs, dry fit, cotton tees, whatever you name it. Uh, it's all on there. So if you're looking to grab yourself a BHB shirt uh, or just any other type of design that we got on there, head on down to mazeworldno.com and uh, shop some of the stuff we got going on. World without the O because the cool kids don't need vowels nowadays, man. What, what, what are these vowels doing? Um, anyway, let's talk about some football now that we shamelessly plugged the new shop. Um, Michigan made episode two. I, I feel like this Michigan made series that Michigan football is putting out on social right now is really all the talk, man. It's like, it's like premier insider content. Episode two came out and it was all about strength and conditioning coach Ben Herbert and the program that he's running. Uh, Matt, I'm interested, like, what was your like first takeaway from, uh, episode two of Michigan made? Well, I love it, man. You know, they uh, they kick things off with a rousing start with uh, some Ben Herbert content. So that was excellent to see. And uh, Lexi had touched on this, but, you know, Michigan's always been very secretive about their offseason. You know what I mean? Behind the scenes, practices, workouts, you name it. So to have this kind of behind the scenes look and kind of like mini series of what's going on. It's really kind of been getting Michigan fans like you and myself and everybody else that we associate with through during this offseason. So uh, also just to see Ben Herbert on there and a lot of the stuff they're doing from a strength perspective, it's just been uh, incredible to see that process kind of take place as much as we have. Yeah, I mean, you know, that kind of brings me to my point slash question, which is, do we think that that Ben Herbert is the best strength and conditioning coach in the entire country. I've, I've been pondering this now for a little over a year. 
I don't know that much about other teams' strength and conditioning coaches, but it just seems like these two stars and three stars are are like just coming back after a year or two. They're completely yoked, like they're jacked up, like ready to play. Like I I haven't seen uh, in my days a Michigan uh, staff, like coaching staff, develop players physically like this current uh, this current squad is doing. And Ben Herbert, of course, is the tip of the spear. So let me ask you, do you think that Ben Herbert is the best strength and conditioning coach in the country? Well, Mike, you know, admittedly, I don't have a ton of knowledge of uh, some of the other programs and what they have going on. But from what I've seen, I mean, Ben Herbert and uh, and the operation that he has implanted at the University of Michigan is just, I mean, it, it goes beyond any type of operation I've ever seen from that perspective. I There was some clips today. I don't know if you caught them. Um, but uh, there was some clips going around social media of Wisconsin's uh, weight room, like the flashing red lights, all the gimmicks, you know what I mean? And it's like Michigan doesn't need all that. You've got Ben Herbert, probably the most inspirational. Uh, like, I don't know if you caught it. I tweeted out like I would tweet. I mean, I would drink a cup of like rusty nails for Ben Herbert. That's how intense <laughs> he is. Um, I mean, it's just the long game with this dude. He's been developing these three stars into like what what I foresee to be five star athletes. Um, and it's just been incredible having him here and what it's done for the program. So and just to see the outcome of what it's been with Michigan so far and, and the progress that they've made. So I can't attest to any other strength staff that's had the kind of impact on a program than Ben Herber and this strength staff. So as far as I can tell, it's got to be Michigan's. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Wisconsin because uh, Ben Herbert came from Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. I th- I'm pretty sure he, was, he used to be, uh, a while ago, their strength and conditioning coach. And that's back when they were just crushing it, you know, when Wisconsin w- really had that, like, run where they were overachieving. And so it, it's pretty easy to see his impact on on the programs that he's been to. Um, I don't know about all this flashing red light bullshit. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that came around after his time, but uh, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch how a, a strength and conditioning coach can really affect a program because we talk so much about X's and O's. We talk so much about intangible talent and how many stars a guy, uh, uh, you know, a guy has coming out of high school. And uh, sure enough, uh, developing the players physically matters a lot. Uh, anything else that you that you want to touch on before we move on from from Michigan made? Yeah, I mean, uh, just a couple things that that caught my attention. You know, as fans, we love to dissect and delve into any piece of content that we can get. Uh, just a shout out, Rashawn Benny uh, made an appearance towards towards the end of that Michigan made episode. Uh, it was touched on in uh, earlier this week on In the Trenches by uh, Mike Elston and and Jansen, but like this guy has transformed his body, and like I don't know if we've we've obviously done a substantial amount of talking about the defensive line itself, but it kind of makes me think, you know, like that this second tier of 
of the interior defensive line is going to really be able to do some damage. You know, you've seen a lot of content of Cam Good coming out really strong, Rashawn Benny looking really jacked. So, I mean, I don't just have hope hope for uh, Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins, Kenneth Grant. Now you've also got these other two guys that are coming on really strong, and that's all just on the interior. So, I mean, that kind of stuff jumps out at me because that's the kind of stuff we really haven't even been thinking about. You know what I mean? So, fascinated by that. Also, uh, Will Johnson, um, it was going around that he had uh, surgery during the offseason so that he was kind of taking it easy a little bit. But looks to me like he's fully involved in a lot of the uh, training and exercises that they're doing right now. So, that's incredible to see. Um, but I mean, those are just a couple things that stuck out to me, buddy. But another excellent episode of Michigan Made. Can't wait to see what they do this week. I'm sure we'll pick it apart and watch it like six times, same as usual. Yeah, you mentioned that Will Johnson surgery, and it reminds me a little bit of like the Blake Corum situation, even though Corum was an in-season injury that that cost him time, but it seems like Michigan is very smart about how they advise guys to take care of um, their their physical ailments and when, you know, timing is real big. And then we know, you know, Michigan Medicine, Michigan Health, the University of Michigan is going to, to have uh, the best of the best when it comes to knowing how to process these injuries and handle these physical things. And so we, we hope Will Johnson is 100%. It looks like he will be. Uh, we hope Blake Corum is 100%. It looks like he will be. Uh, last thing before we move on, I, I just thought it was funny. So I didn't even know my wife was watching it, but she was on her phone scrolling. And then uh, uh, she, apparently the, that video, because it's everywhere, came on. And, and, she, and all I hear her say is, why did they have weights on their face? <laughs> and I was like, I, I just started laughing. I was like, I was like, because Ohio State doesn't, babe. That's why, you know? And she's like, why are they putting weights on their face? And then I like, I turned around and I was like, I have no idea. You know, they're, they're, Ben Herbert is just that much of an animal where he's literally laying like weight plates on these dudes' faces like while they're working out and stuff. So I thought that was pretty legit. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that, man. And it was, uh, I mean, just to see the little bit that we saw, like it's, it was a very intense insight into uh, the Michigan weight training that they go through, so... I don't know if we'll if we'll get a glimpse into any more, but you know I I've seen enough. I think this Michigan team is ready to take on just about anybody with uh, weights coming off of their faces. <laughs> Next time you see me in the gym, I'm just gonna have a 45 pound plate just on my face while I'm working out. Um, I hope you speaking do. speaking of physical attributes and uh, freakish physical abilities, I don't know if this is frustrating or hilarious or just downright confusing. But uh, a story came out where it said, Joe Milton is reportedly believed, and of course I'm talking about former Michigan quarterback Joe Milton, uh, Joe Milton is reportedly believed to potentially be the next Anthony Richardson by multiple NFL scouts. Many scouts reportedly believe Milton could be a first rounder by the time the college football season is over. One NFL scouting director said that Milton's arm is one of the strongest fo football arms he's ever seen. Uh, Peyton Manning said that throwing the ball 40 yards is just a flick for Joe Milton. Uh, 
Care to comment, Matt? Uh, you know, I don't want to like disparage the young man because like I, <laughs> in all like honesty, I've got nothing against him. He's never done wrong by like the University of Michigan um, other than not having the greatest of performances and not becoming Cam Newton. Uh, ridiculous. But, you know, other than that, um, he's really done no wrong by the university. But I know if if, you know, I heard you read that article, I would probably have to do a double take to make sure that I'm not reading an article from uh, circa 2020 during that horrible, horrible season that we won't talk further about. But, um, you know, it's all the same song and dance for me. I've really got to see it culminate on the football field for him. We all know that the kid's got a cannon, that he can throw a football clear over the mountains. But, you know, it's got to happen in a game during substantial competition when it matters. So, you know, it, uh, it all just depends. We'll see if it happens. Um, uh, I'll have to have a little chuckle at myself if it doesn't go that way. But other than that, you know, uh, well, it's just a wait and we'll see for me. I am not falling for it again. My heart was broken. I was 99% sure that this guy was the next Cam Newton. And uh, I, I just couldn't take what actually happened when he was on the field. When Cade McNamara came in, it looked so refreshing compared to what we saw. Now, granted, he's grown a little bit. I've got nothing against Joe Milton. But as a Michigan fan, it's like we've 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 ridden that roller coaster already. And so when I see a story like that, I, I have to just laugh a little bit because, yeah, Peyton Manning said uh, throwing the ball 40 yards is just the, uh, the flick of a wrist for Milton. And it's like, yeah, the problem is he does that on a, a seven-yard curl route. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he'll throw it 40 yards, but it's, you know, it's going 35 yards over the dude's head. So um, Straight into the arms of uh opposing <laughs> defender, if you will. But and, uh, and here and comparing him to Anthony Richardson, like to me, it's like, do we even know if that's a compliment yet? Like we don't we don't even really know because Anthony Richardson basically got drafted on just his like uh, tangible uh, physical attributes. There's a lot of questions about whether or not that's going to translate into the NFL. So could he be the next Anthony Richardson? Yes. But uh, is that a good thing? We don't really know yet. So anyway, I, I wish Joe, Joe Milton the best of luck. Uh, I, I think you do too, right? Like we have no hard feelings here, but uh, it, it is interesting to see these stories come out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to hit you with uh, a quick little inter intervention right here. Uh, there was a question going around on Twitter. I think it was posted by our friend JD, but it was, uh, I mean, speak of the, wor the worst season of all time, 2020, right? He had posted uh, about the loss that, uh, well, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it was like the worst law or the worst win that you've ever experienced. Uh, so, Mike, when you think of the worst Michigan win that you've ever experienced, what would you have to say that is? Oh, gosh, the worst Michigan win. I'm trying to think. Uh, the, While you think about it, I'll, my answer was uh, 20, 2020 Rutgers. And uh, if you remember, it was that oh, yeah. dreadful shootout with Rutgers where we had just went on a three-game skid against uh, Michigan State, um, Indiana, Wisconsin. 
It was terrible. And then we top it off with like a fucking uh, shoot it out match with one of the worst teams in history. So it was interesting to see how everyone values losses and uh, and things like that. But I was just interested what your thoughts were on on some of the most miserable victories that you've experienced. I'll give you the two the two most miserable victories that I, that I was actually at, and one of them is going to really surprise you. But uh, that army game, that army game where we we won it with the fumble right at the end, like that. That was just one of those games. It's like Army had a style that they played with. It was this like, you know, that uh, read option, like running game that was just like tricky. And and it was all about controlling possessions and slowing the game down. And, you know, when you buy tickets to a Michigan game, you you really want to see some action. It's like you're you want you like you're there in person. You want to you want to really see some stuff go on And that game. It was just miserable. And and it looked like we were going to lose. We pulled it out at the end. Um, so that was one. The other one for me is going to surprise you because it was actually a, an awesome win for Michigan. It was a recent win for Michigan. But uh, the maze out against Washington was excruciating for me. But here's, here's why. Um, I brought uh, my longtime friend who's an Oklahoma fan to that game. And uh, Oklahoma, they just sling it. You know, They're, They've got these Heisman quarterbacks and we're always talking shit to each other and comparing teams. And at the time, we didn't know Michigan was was going to have that um, that miracle twenty twenty one run. They were gonna, you know, beat Ohio State. Everything was gonna be good. But go to the playoffs for the first time ever. And I take my buddy to the the big house, and uh, the maze out was cool. It was rocking. Everything was cool. But I don't know if you remember, like we we did not throw the ball in that game. Like we just we. We didn't throw it at all. And we beat the shit out of them, but we didn't need to throw it. And so for me, it was just kind of like, it was another one of those ones where you're in the big house, like you want to see big plays. And we just, we just lined it up and shoved it down their throat, which normally I'm okay with. But given the circumstances, it was kind of excruciating for me to watch. That's, uh, that's fair. You know, that's what, that, that's what I mean by everybody's kind of got their own definition. Uh-huh. It's interesting how people value like certain aspects of different uh, wins. So it was interesting for me to see all the different answers. And I thought you might have some different answers as well, which you did. And you brought up 2020 Rutgers. I'm pretty sure 2021 Rutgers was kind of a, kind of a nightmarish game too. to, to like, I, I, I specifically re- remember that being uh, a pretty tough first half and a pretty like grinded out game where we should have dominated them. And then, and then even the first half of Rutgers last year, man, like, so ever since we beat Rutgers by like 77 points or whatever it was, uh, they've been, they've been really, uh, really difficult for us. Um, moving on to some good news in the recruiting world. Uh, this was something that we thought might happen. We didn't know when it would happen. And then, uh, it, it, it did happen. So, uh, earlier in the in the recruiting cycle, we landed Jared Smith. I want to make sure I get this right because they're twins. Yeah, we we landed Jared Smith first, um, and then this week we landed his twin brother, Jacob Smith. He finally committed. Uh, so now we've got double trouble on the D line. One one of them's a, a, a you know a true D lineman. The other one's an edge. I, I believe there's some possibility of some depending on how they develop some maybe some linebacker, but you know, they're, they're in that front seven together. So we've got, we've got twin brothers coming to Michigan in the front seven together. And, 
The one thing I know about twins is they can communicate without even like speaking to each other. And so I'm excited to get these guys on the field at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if there's one thing I love, Mike, it's after a commitment when I'm going to uh, research a kid's tape that I that a lot of the content that I see is of uh, Buckeye sites or Buckeye analysts breaking down tape of them on YouTube and stuff like that. Just love to see it. It means that uh, it was just another prospect that Ohio State was heavily after both of them, I believe. So uh, they're both with Michigan now. I think this one might even be uh, high, more highly rated than his brother that that recently committed, if that's right. I know he's a top 300 uh, prospect, so we'll see how it all culminates. But Michigan's class looking very good. Another notable that I forgot to slide into the show notes for this week was uh, Devin Baxter in the recent re-rank earned a fourth star so he is now another four star within michigan's class so it just keeps adding up man obviously in that re-rank they lost a little bit Uh, a lot of people sleeping on Jaden davis after his commitment to michigan so we'll see how that continues to progress but you know i'm very happy with how the class sits and uh, i think it's only gonna get get better there's still a couple hot names on the board that you and I are very fond of. So hopefully we get some good news there as well. Well, I'm talking about the re-ranking or the ranking of, of different recruits. I'm pretty sure the only thing keeping Jaden Davis from being a 24-7 composite five-star is on three. On three's uh, uh, ranking gets formulated into that. And they, they have Jaden Davis unusually low. And uh, we've got our friend Clayton Safey coming on the pod next week, and he works for the Wolverine, which is, of course, uh, part of the On3 network. So we'll, we'll have to give him a hard time next week, maybe ask his opinion of Jaden Davis and see if, if it's in alignment with the way On3 as a whole is ranking Davis. Because when it comes to just uh, 24-7 and rivals, and I believe ESPN, uh, the dude's a five-star. So um, it's always interesting to see. Uh, rankings don't really matter that much, but you do want to see your guys you know, get the respect they deserve. Absolutely. And uh, Michigan, another piece of news coming out today, Michigan losing out on the recruitment of uh, Jordan Ship, uh, or at least it looks like. I don't know if I saw an official announcement, but there was also a lot of uh, shenanigans on Twitter, it looked like, where people were preemptively tweeting before his decision, stuff like that. So... I'm not going to speculate as of yet, even though people on this podcast will already know by the time, whatever. But uh, it looks like he's going to UNC, which, uh, if that's the case, best of luck to him. In my opinion, I think that really Michigan wants to put more effort into their momentum with Gatlin Bayer anyway. I don't, I'm not really too concerned about losing out on ship, and that's not to say anything less about ship. He's a fantastic athlete, and he's, but, uh, and I just think that Michigan needs to go full steam ahead and try really hard to land Gatlin Bear and, uh, and also Aaron Scott and just kind of hope to put a lot of their eggs in that basket for now. I mean, I agree with you on Gatlin Bear, but also we need receivers, man. Like we need wide receivers. It's the one position that we just need to stack up. As, as many talented guys as we can and see who hits. I do agree that Gatlin Bear looks like he's going to be like that dude. 
Um, you don't want to underestimate the value of having the fastest player possibly in college football, like on your team. Uh, but also there, there's that, I know Gatlin bear might have a, uh, religious commitment that would take him a year or two before he actually comes to Ann Arbor. And so if that's the case, then, uh, it, it's almost like he's in the 25 or 26 class. And so for 24, we've got Imarion Stewart and Channing Goodwin, uh, it would be nice to throw another talented guy in the mix. Maybe get a transfer next year. What you know, we'll see what happens. I would, uh, I would argue, I would push back just a little bit because one would argue that there's kind of a logjam in the wide receiver room, just a little bit, and that's not to say like anything negative about like, but it's just not in the cards. So what that's leading to is kind of more of a buildup of wide receivers like Tyler Morris, Darius Clemens. They're not going to see starting minutes until they're like juniors. You know what I mean? And they're starting level talent, probably. We don't know because we haven't seen it. But guys like that aren't even going to see the field a lot until their junior year. So I'm not totally angry about the whole like Gatlin Bear religious commitment thing or losing out on Jordan Ship or the guys that we have just because I know that there's a little bit of a buildup and you saw it with Andrell Anthony leaving and other and other guys considering leaving like and it's going to continue to happen if receivers don't get minutes AJ Henning you know what I mean so if that continues to happen guys aren't going to continue to see the field until way later down the road so I think that it all works out ultimately in Michigan's favor, but you're right. You never love to see Michigan losing out on high profile guys like Jordan ship. So it sucks either way, but hopefully they can land a high profile guy in Gatlin bear and maybe some others moving forward. Well, and not to, not to be dismissive of any of the receivers that are on the team currently, but when, you know, Ohio state down the road is, is, regularly bringing you know fielding guys that are and like clear like first second third nfl uh first second third round nfl talent marvin harrison jr is probably going to be the best wide receiver in the entire country um i know i like i i know that we're still gonna beat them we're still you know we still got the offensive line the the running backs the ground and pound the the tougher guys like i understand that but uh, can you just imagine, and we've talked about this before, can you imagine a Braylon Edwards like on this team with J.J. McCarthy? Like, like if, if we could just get a guy like that on the field, and who knows, maybe Roman Wilson or Cornelius Johnson will be that dude, but uh, if that's the case, they're likely gone next year anyway. So in my mind, we need that, that guy that's going to be Jaden Davis's like primary target, number one guy, one of the best receivers in the country. and so. Uh, that probably wasn't going to be Jordan Ship anyway. It was just appealing because they, they you know, they're on the same team in high school. So it, it, the possibility for some continuation of that chemistry would have been awesome. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, have you seen the new scoreboard going up? Oh, man, it's a thing of beauty. I uh, I caught a glimpse of uh, on Michigan social media, what picture that they had only posted on Facebook, I think it was. So I shared it to Twitter and credited them with it. But uh, it was of a frontal view, almost complete. Like, it's going to be awesome, brother. <laughs> I love that you said frontal. It was a, a full frontal of that <laughs> maize and blue 
block M, you know, like that's, yeah, that's about, uh, yeah, that's about as appealing as it gets watching that giant scoreboard go up. I mean, it, it, it'll be cool to see what they actually do with the screen side of it. I'm glad to see that they didn't mess with the, the, you know, it's still the maze M with the, the blue background. It doesn't look like they did anything tricky. They just made it bigger, which to me, that's exactly what they should have done. You don't want to mess with that classic look when you're driving up to the stadium and you see that M just just hanging out in the sky. And so uh, there's just nothing better than the big house. It'll be cool to see how long it takes to actually close out the big house from the media boxes to the scoreboard. We'll see if, if we can get a screen or some seats or something to close that thing out. Well, uh, I don't know if you saw, it was actually announced, uh, not announced this week, but it was kind of leaked a little bit that uh, Michigan's planning the maze out for week one uh, yeah. against East Carolina, which uh, is awesome. But it means that obviously the night game Bowling Green uh, will not get the maze out treatment, which I'll be in attendance for. So kind of bummed that I'll be missing the maze out. That was like one of my goals in planning that for my uh my attending game but uh also very stoked to learn that michigan's going to be uh employing the use of lights and things like that during the night so that might be something to possibly still look forward to even though michigan's not having the maze out that might possibly be in attendance to uh see what michigan does with these new uh, maize and blue lights that they've got going on. So more to uh, report on that after I attend uh, week three versus Bowling Green. As long as they don't do the uh, the Rutgers like strobe light thing in the big house, yeah, our, those old boot those old Michigan boosters might have a heart attack if if the the big house starts strobe lighting like that. But uh, I'm with you, man. The, uh, you know, ma- make it cool, make it young, make it fresh and and exciting. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully not, man. I thought my TV was going out when I was watching that Rutgers game last year. Like <laughs> when uh first of all, oh my god, that was just like a terrible first half of football. Like it almost like echoed that 2021 game that you were talking about. But yeah. um yeah, that was a very close football game in the first half, so and then the strobe lights like it just really rubbed me the wrong way. So hopefully they don't do anything like that. Well, let's touch quickly on some basketball news. This is almost controversial basketball news here. Um, but I tell you what, I think I think this is a good time for us to do our what's the deal segment, man. So uh, let me see if you can lead off with a, with a what's the deal. Yeah, absolutely. I got one. So uh, our friend Brian Bouton that, um, you know, he puts a lot of uh, good graphics together on his Excel spreadsheets and puts them out to the Michigan community. Uh, Very informative, very locked in on things that are happening in the recruiting world. Uh, Talks to a lot of insiders on the Twitter community, but he tweeted out a, a graphic of Phil Steele's uh, tiered voting systems for position groups in the Big Ten. Uh, and, you know, like, I, I don't want to knock the guy too much because he definitely gives love to Michigan in a lot of areas. Uh, but there was ver- there was one that was just very noticeable to me. Uh, he has Maryland 
and their quarterback room ranked first in the Big Ten ahead of the Michigan Wolverines. And, like, I just have to stop you right there. Like, our friend Brian, like, interjected and defended Phil Steele a little bit, like, claiming that, you know, Phil is looking at the total picture here uh, of, like, the entire quarterback room. But, I mean, Phil, like, Michigan has a quarterback room with four guys. That's right, I said four guys that can start right now. So I just have to ask, what's the deal to Phil Steele? God, that rhymes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what's the deal to Phil Steele uh, about placing Maryland ahead of Michigan on his uh, positional group rankings? I'm with you, and I was just thinking like, okay, we're talking about the quarterback room, not just the starting quarterback. Um, you know, Ta- Talia Tagovailoa, I, ca- I have trouble saying his name, Tua's brother, uh, he's a stud, right? Like, he's a good quarterback. I, I, it, it's, it's hard to tell how good he actually is, but he's very good, and so I'll give him that. Is he better than J.J. McCarthy? Not a chance. J.J. is going to be the best quarterback in the Big Ten this year, most likely. Um, but then you just got to look at uh, who else they have in their, that room, and I don't really know much about these guys. I see they have three freshmen. Um, on, on in their quarterback room, so maybe they they brought in some young talented guys as backups that that uh really look good. And Phil Steele maybe knows a little bit more about them than we do. But um, just looking at the way that he ranked uh Michigan's position groups, like obviously number one offensive line in the Big Ten, definitely number one running back uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, number one running backs in the country. Actually, he had a, he has us as the number two offensive line in the country, um, and this just shows Big Ten. So I don't know I don't know who was number one. Maybe Georgia is on there. I'm not really sure. Uh, but you're just looking at where Michigan ranks nationally, even in these position position groups. Uh, number six in the nation on the D line. Number five linebackers. Number seven defensive backs. Like my God, that's top. Uh, Every position group on the defense ranks in the top 10 nationally. Like, this team is going to be really, really good. And so, sorry to go on a little tangent here. I know this was about the quarterback room. Uh, What's the deal, Phil Steele, on uh, not putting J.J. McCarthy above uh, Tua's bro? But but he did give us some credit here. He gave us some props. And so, I'm going to give him a pass. Uh, The guy guy that I want to ask... what's the deal to is former Michigan center, get him. all American center, get him Hunter, Hunter Dickinson. What is the deal, man? Like, I know you're a character and you kind of just say whatever's on your mind, but earlier in the week, Hunter Dickinson was quoted saying Kansas practices are much harder than Michigan practices. And it's like, when I read that, I was like, I could actually see that, right? Like the, the days of the, the excruciating John Beeline practices are kind of over. Uh, Juwan Howard is a player's coach. He's an NBA guy. I bet you those dudes were just kind of chilling out and bumping rap music and casually doing drills and stuff. So so Bill Self probably has Hunter Dickinson working a, a little bit harder than, than Juwan did. And that's a problem in itself. We'll save that conversation for another episode. But then uh, just a day or two ago, Dickinson comes out and says, uh, Something about like people in Kansas are much nicer than people in Michigan, and that Michigan is like a fake 
Midwest state and can you know like Kansas is a real Midwest state and it's like now now he's like veering into the like he he's just dogging on Michigan now and uh what is the deal Hunter Dickinson are, are you are you a fan of this language Matt Absolutely not dude you know I'm really not a fan of uh Hunter taking the like I'm going to downplay Michigan to uplift my new situation at Kansas vibes. Not down with it. You know what I mean? Like, that's all well and good. From what I've seen, most of the fan base uh, has just been willing to just kind of just wipe their hands of it a little bit and just see Dickinson well off on his new journey with the Jayhawks. You know what I mean? Won't have to see him unless maybe getting in the tournament, yada, yada, like have a nice day. But this guy just like nobody even like asked him to compare the situation at Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you saw the clip, but there was a clip released of it. Like he was on a a podcast. I don't know if it was a school podcast, but they asked him like how he's been liking it at Kansas so far. And like he just took it upon himself to kind of, uh, Talk, make that comment about like the niceness of the people at Michigan and st- like it's just like what are you doing bro so yeah what's the deal well well I guess whatever I you know he's always been unfiltered and that's what we loved about him when he was at Michigan so you know I I do hope Kansas loses every single game on their schedule but I I wish Hunter Dickinson the best of luck and I actually hope he makes it into the NBA. Um, who knows if if you know he, that'll pan out given the way the game is played now. Um, another quick basketball snippet. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, West Virginia transfer Jose Perez uh, will take an official visit to Michigan from July 28th to July 30th. Um, not a huge tr- transfer. Uh, he a t- talented guy, six five shooting guard. His his career really hasn't panned out thus far, and that, that's where Michigan basketball's at right now. They're they're they've got two other scholarships to fill, and it seems like they are just looking to uh, fill their roster spots. They you know they're they're basically trying to take who they can get right now. No disrespect to Jose Perez, I'm sure he's a fine young man, but uh, these guys that we're looking at now are just not our first options. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you know, Michigan is in a place where they'll take whatever they can get. Uh, Perez, I mean, looks like he's got some good statistics. Uh, Caleb Love-esque statistics, uh, numbers. So, you know, we'll see uh, if if it's some somebody that can fit with uh, the kind of Frankenstein basketball team that uh, Jawan Howard's putting together right now. Uh, obviously Michigan's got the spots to fill. So take who you can get. Hopefully uh, he sticks on this visit and just see what happens. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that his his stats are from, let me look here, Manhattan and Gardner-Webb. So if you're, if you're looking up like career um, career like points per game and stuff like that, that's not at West Virginia. Um, that's a, like, he basically stacked up those stats at, in lower level play. Um, yeah, he's that's been not a, like all over the place, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad thing though. I mean, if that you would rather see good stats than bad stats. It's just the, the question is always, does that game translate to the Big Ten? Gotcha. Um, I think we're going to, 
I think we're going to land him, honestly. I think he's coming to visit. I think uh, he'll probably end up on the team. And so it'll be interesting to see um, how that goes. Moving on to uh, one of our favorite other podcasts, you know, John Jansen is like the man in Michigan football podcasting right now. And uh, in the trenches is, is really one of the weekly listens that we always talk about. And uh, Coach Clink, uh, Steve Clinkscale, and uh, Mike Elston, so uh, secondary coach and I believe co-defensive coordinator now. I think they might have thrown that tag on him as well. Um, and then, of course, the defensive line coach, Mike Elston, both on In the Trenches. What stood out to you in this uh, pretty awesome episode? Yeah, absolutely. You love when uh, the coaches get on get on In the Trenches with Jansen because it's really like the closest uh, you get to the Michigan football program during times like these when there's not a whole lot happening. So uh, to hear their updates... It's something we as Wolverine fans really uh, look for. You know, I uh, <clears throat> like I mentioned earlier in the show, I liked to hear uh, from Coach Klink that Will Johnson is uh, is being a competitor in practice, that he's getting uh, his drills in and stuff like that. You also, he made a comment about uh, Will kind of carrying this persona that uh, he's not going to buy into the hype. You know what I mean, which I thought was uh, was something big that really stood out because everybody's just kind of given this kid the keys to the kingdom for this upcoming season. Obviously, he started some very high-profile games last season, but uh, don't don't uh, get him too wigged out to where he's going to think that uh, overthink his whole life. You know what I mean? Hopefully, he's approaching it in a way that he feels comfortable with that uh, he's going to start the season the way that he needs to. Yeah, the thing that I listen for when the coaches talk is it's kind of funny. I'm always looking for like who they talk about first and how they order the guys because I'm always guessing depth chart, like who's ahead in camp and stuff like that. Like last year, Harbaugh gave us some really good insights in, into Mason Graham and it felt like, oh, he really... He really likes Mason Graham. Like, and then sure enough, throughout the season, it played out that way. Mason Graham got a hell of a lot more snaps than you would expect a true freshman in that position to get. Um, when Coach Klink was talking about the safeties, the thing that I found interesting was uh, after the starting safeties, Rod Moore and Makari Page, uh, the first name quickly out of his mouth was Quentin Johnson. And and to me I, that I was like interesting, you know. He didn't say Keon Sab, he didn't say Zeke Barry. He said Quentin Johnson real fast early in the interview. Uh, and and it and it's one of those things that maybe it means nothing, but you know the the psychology of it. Like that's the first guy he went to. It makes me think Quentin Johnson must be having, uh, you know, some good practices. And uh, you know, and then he also brought up my boy. Caden Colazar coming back. So, I mean, you know, the safety position for me is a really interesting one because we know, we know who the two starters are, but, but to me, uh, knowing who the, the true, like, two deep are at, at, at uh, the safety position is, is a real question mark to me. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that stuck out to me is uh, Coach Klink touched on Mikey Sainer still and his ability to uh, – lock down that secondary corner spot, you know what I mean? Because that was obviously 
uh, something that John Jansen asked him about. You know, that's something that everybody's curious about, that secondary corner spot. Obviously, many expect it to be Will Johnson, Josh Wallace starting uh, side by side at the beginning of the season. But he did express confidence, you know, that Mikey Sainor still is a lockdown guy at all three levels of that DB room, you know, corner, uh, safety, and nickel. So he can play all of those positions and and cover it if they need to. It doesn't have to be a full-time gig for him if you see him over there on that secondary corner spot. So it seems like there's really nothing to worry about. It's just sharks in the water in this DB room for Michigan football. I'm so glad you brought up Mike Sanders still. I've been thinking about him as uh, potentially the most important player on this defense, and he's a little bit slept on. You talk about impact players on the team, and everybody's like, well, J.J. McCarthy, number one. A lot of people will say Blake Corum, number two. And then everybody says Will Johnson, number three. And I don't disagree with that. I mean, Will Johnson, five-star talent. uh, Really, he's like the first player in a long time that could potentially be walking in Charles Woodson's shoes. You know, that's a very uh, big statement, too, and it's true. But Mike Sanristil can basically do anything in that that defensive secondary. He can get up close and, and play the nickel. He can potentially be that cornerback across from Will Johnson. Um, he could even get back there and, you know, he could play safety. He can move, he can move around. He can even kind of get into like a, a linebacker type look, uh, at times, you know, when he's bringing pressure. And so, uh, you know, is, is, is he a top three impact player on this team? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm, I'm really starting to consider him maybe the most important guy on that defense. You look at, uh, Chris Jenkins, Mike Sanders still and Will Johnson. And I think those are, I think those are your three guys. That's, am I missing anybody when I'm talking about like really like the key most important guys on that defense? You know, I think, uh, I think Mike Barrett maybe factors into the equation in there uh, somewhere, maybe in that lot at that linebacker level, uh, just having all of those guys with that experience, not even just a talent from a talent perspective, but you know when those four personalities are on the field at the same time, they're going to be bringing the Michigan uh, veteran energy, right? Like Mike Sainer still, Chris Jenkins, Mike Barrett. Um, who am I missing? Well, we were talking about Will Johnson. He's a little younger, but yeah, same. Right. Will same Johnson, yeah. but, uh, but also, you know, just having also those veteran presences on the field. Like I think that uh, – it's just really going to be a special season for Michigan football, I think, when you really get to it. And Mike Sainer still, like, he's going to be the quarterback of that defensive unit at whatever position that they, they trot him out at. And it's so interesting because when you went linebacker, I'm thinking I would bring up Junior Colson before Mike Barrett. And that's no slight to Mike Barrett. It's just uh, Junior Colson could maybe be one of the best linebackers in the country. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this defense uh, shakes up because I mean, there's talent absolutely everywhere. I think the other thing that's interesting, uh, you, you heard, uh, you know, you heard uh, Elston talk about uh, the tackles and the edges and, and we're talking, you know, will guys like uh, Benny and Cam good and uh, you know, how will Kenneth Grant really factor in these guys that are uh, Derek Moore, you know, 
how how will these guys actually factor in um on on the you know we know Mason Graham and Chris Jenkins are going to be those dudes in the middle. We know uh, Josiah Stewart and Jalen Harrell are going to you know or Jalen Harrell. I said Harrell. That's what eh, either way. Jalen Harrell. Um, we know those guys are all going to be uh, studs, but just seeing how that two deep really looks at the end of the day is going to be interesting. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. You talked a little bit about uh, edge pairings and stuff like that. So it uh, it's it's going to be interesting how Michigan utilizes its edge guys come game time and uh, and what combinations work with who. It seems like they've got a pretty firm grasp on that. Didn't go too into detail, but uh, did touch on that he knows which guys are going to complement whose style of play and. I think that you're going to have that with different uh, different personalities, different body types, playing styles with guys like McGregor uh, to smaller guys like Josiah Stewart. You know what I mean? So I think that they're really going to have an opportunity to be dynamic with those edge guys. And the interior, I think, is going to be probably the best, the very best that we've seen in some time for this Michigan team. So I think that those guys are just going to be exploding up the middle and uh and it's all going to work well so i think we're all just very excited to kind of get to get to uh game day you know 50 day countdown just released a, a day or two ago so we're right on the cusp of it brother yeah we're all just ready for some michigan football we're kind of just dissecting everything and splitting hairs and uh i just couldn't wait so what I decided to do with my company, Wolverine Chronicle, is I've been uh, doing a segment behind enemy lines where I've been talking to football experts for each of Michigan's opponents for the 2023 season. And I just wrapped up the non-conference. This week, I had an amazing talk uh, with uh, Mitch from BG Football Talk about the week three matchup for Michigan against Bowling Green. So I'm excited to share that with our listeners. We're going to have a listen, and we'll be right back. Welcome to a Wolverine Chronicle exclusive segment, Behind Enemy Lines. We're looking at week three, Michigan versus Bowling Green. Uh, I I have a very special guest here. We got Mitch with BG Football Talk, uh, also an alumni of Bowling Green University. Mitch, how you doing, man? Good, Michael. Happy to be here. Excited to talk about BG football, even if it means going into the big house to play in Michigan. I said Bowling Green University, but I, is it the University of Bowling Green? Did I get that wrong? I don't want to disrespect you here. It's Bowling Green State University. There, there it is. So you're, you'll have to forgive me. You gotta, you'll have to uh, explain these things to me like I'm a three-year-old because I, when it comes to Bowling Green football, I literally am a three-year-old, but, uh, you know, we're going to dive right in. Let, let's, let's talk about this matchup with Michigan that you guys have uh, week three coming to the big house. It's no, no easy task, you know, going in, in front of a hundred plus thousand people. Uh, so just overall, before we get into the nitty gritty, how are you feeling about this game? Do you think that, you know, are, are your guys going to come ready to play? I think the guys will be hyped. I think everyone's excited to play a Big Ten team. Anytime you get to step into a environment, 100,000, like you said, one of the most historic programs, historic stadiums in college football. As a competitor, how could you not be excited to go into that arena, even if it means being probably a 45-point underdog? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spread may end up being in the 40s or so. I know they've released our week one spread with East Carolina, which is uh, in the mid 30s. And so we'll we'll see how these teams look, you know, coming into the non-conference schedule. Uh, Let's dive right in. Which position group do you expect to be the strength of this Bowling Green team? So I would have to go with running back. Last year, our leading rusher was Jason Patterson, uh, but the guy who led the team in rushing touchdowns was Teron Keith, and he's also a pass catcher, so he has that dual threat ability. And I think Bowling Green's running back room, especially in today's college football, is in rarefied air in terms of people not really transferring out. Uh, Our two leading rushers in 2021 are still on the team, and then our two leading rushers in 2022 are also on the team. So you have four guys plus a fifth who have gotten a lot of carries and no one seems to have transferred out. I think that'll change after this year once we kind of see more who takes the lead and the bulk of the carries. But I know one special player, Terrion Stewart, he led our team in rushing in 2021. He took last year off. He wanted to focus on his mental health. He wanted to focus on his grades. Uh, but he has announced he's back for 2023. And I know we missed him a lot last year. So I think that'll be our best position this year. Yeah, you're right. It is rare now, especially for a MAC team, right? With the transfer portal and NIL, is like you get a stud on your team, especially a good running back. Uh, a lot of these Power Five uh, conference teams come knocking and try to steal your guys away. So that it is impressive that the running backs, uh, both leading rushers, are returning this season. So we'll keep an eye out for them. Uh, now, now to the not so good part. Um, who do you, you know, what position group do you expect to be? potentially a weakness on this team it's got to be the offensive line uh we're going on i want to say 2016 was the last time bowling green had a a good solid offensive line uh in 2016 we had two 1000 yard rushers despite only going four and eight that year since then just haven't been able to run the football Uh, especially in recent memory last year it, it was a little bit better but we couldn't punch it in in the red zone. The offensive line could not get any sort of push. We had to throw the ball a lot. Our leading rusher, who had over 500 yards, only had one touchdown on the season because once we got into the red zone, it was just we had to throw the ball. We couldn't move it. And for two straight years now, there's just been a lot of young offensive linemen. And then with the portal, you know, you hope to inject some older people. So it could look completely different this year, but just based on where we've been at for the last five years, the offensive line's definitely going to be our, our weak link. Man, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how you can have two 1,000-yard rushers and then go four and eight. Like that, that doesn't add up in my head. I'm trying to figure that out. That's an it's, impressive stat in itself. That, that was the, the dark days of Bowling Green was the three years we had Mike Jinks as our head coach. And, and that's, he wanted to run the air raid so bad, he didn't care how well we could run the football. So that's how you go four and eight, despite two guys getting over 1,000 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, you know, we're talking about the, the running backs, uh, which offensive players specifically do you expect to have the greatest impact on this season? So I'm going to go with OJ Hilaire. He was a wide receiver who transferred in last year from the SCS ranks. He came in from Alabama A&M and last year he led our team in receptions. He led our team in yards and he's just super dynamic. Our big rivalry against Toledo last year he had eight catches for 250 yards and two touchdowns. And he's a real difference maker. Uh, he doesn't have the size that'll probably limit him 
in terms of NFL hopes and maybe a reason why a Power 5 school didn't come calling. But in terms of flat-out speed, he's an absolute burner. And what defensive player do you expect to have the biggest impact? I'll go with Darren Anders. He's our starting linebacker. In 2021, he had 111 tackles, which was 11th in the country. And then last year, he still had 77, which compared to over 100, it's a little less. But I think that's also because our defense got better. So it's kind of a bad sign how often in 21 he had to make tackles. And now that we had a good D-line last year, especially with one player going to the NFL, just as a defensive unit, the, the less you need one person to take over games usually means your defense is actually doing better. So I think that's why we saw a drop-off in tackles. But in terms of overall production and talent, he's still the best player on our defense right now. So I'm assuming he's a senior this year? Yep, this is last year. Yeah, so if he went 100 tackles, that's, you know, you get into the triple digits, that's a... That's an impressive uh, amount of tackle. So we'll, we'll definitely need to keep an eye on him. Uh, he's got his work cut out for him. You know, he got Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are going to be uh, slicing and dicing through the middle there. Some, some, you know, Michigan's got a big offensive line. And so it'll be interesting to see um, how his experience stacks up against this Michigan offensive front. So, you know, I was doing a little bit of my, my pre- interview research and I, I got sidetracked I'll be honest I was I was I was uh, looking at some Bowling Green some 2022 Bowling Green and I came across the Toledo game from last year that Bowling Green Toledo finish it was pretty spectacular that was a good game uh, Bowling Green came out on the right side of that and uh, you know as it, it, it got me thinking so I, I was looking at Bowling Green they finished third in the MAC which that's impressive that that's a good season. Um, where do you think they'll finish in the conference this year? Yeah, it's it's so tough to say. Something that is hard to explain. If you don't follow the MAC specifically, it's hard to truly explain how much parity is in the conference. I mean, you look at the Big Ten, you know who the big dogs are in the East. Yeah. It's Michigan, it's Penn State, it's Ohio State. Like that, that's who's going to win the division. Indiana, bless their hearts, they're never going to win the division. It's just not going to happen. Like, They've beaten Michigan, what, twice in the last 60 years? Um, but in the MAC, it's completely different. I mean, last year, the team that won the East, the Ohio Bobcats, they went 3-9 and nine the year before. And then if you look at 2021, NIU won the entire conference. They were winless in the, the COVID season. And so we've seen a lot of teams, especially now with the portal, I think you're going to continue to see a big flux. But as it stands now, I would peg us somewhere around the second to third place in the East. Okay, so kind of a repeat of last year, a strong strong team in the MAC. Just out of curiosity, who do you think is going to be the best team in the MAC? It's got. I, I'm going to go with Ohio, the Bobcats. They yeah. have a quarterback who was the MAC Player of the Year last year, and they lost a close one to Toledo in the MAC Championship game. But the quarterback wasn't able to play. He got hurt in the regular season and was out for the rest of the year. And I think if he plays, they win the conference. He's back again. I know some people. We're looking at him to transfer up to a Power 5 team. He decided to stay. I know his older brother played his whole career for Ohio, so he has a lot of loyalties to the school. So I think, you know, in this game of football, when you have the best quarterback in your conference, it's hard not to pick you to, to win it all. All right, so we got a little bit of a conference prediction out of you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you here a little bit. Finish this sentence. 
Bowling Green wins at Michigan if? If Michigan doesn't show up. <laughs> if they don't show up, if the players yeah. don't take the field for, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, they say, hey, we're not going to play this one, Bowling Green will win. So you're hoping that somehow the, t- yeah, the team buses get lost on the way from you know, Schimbeckler Hall, which is around the corner uh, to the stadium, and the players don't yep. take the field. Heaven forbid a sinkhole emerges. <laughs> Everyone's safe, but they can't play. We're not going to reschedule. We'll take the win there. I love that. The sinkhole theory, the sinkhole prediction for the Michigan Bowling Green game. All right, yep. so we'll, we'll flip, flip the tables here. Uh, Michigan wins if. They don't beat themselves. You know, when you look at... We did beat a Big Ten team a couple years ago, Minnesota, who was good. I think they finished the year 8-4. and four. We pulled off, point spread-wise, the largest upset in the last decade of college football, and they couldn't get out of their own way. They tried to go for it on fourth and down in their own territory, didn't get it. They only completed five passes all game. They fumbled. They threw interceptions. It was just, it's what you would expect a good team to do to lose to a bad team. So if Michigan just goes out there hands the football off, doesn't get a ton of penalties, doesn't throw a couple bad interceptions, and just really lets the ball carriers do their thing, let the offensive line mash some people, they'll walk away with the win, no problem. Because I think there's a big difference when you look at us stunning Minnesota as 30-something point underdogs. We didn't even finish the year bowling. We were 4-8. and eight. They were 8-4. and four. We pulled off a win. But I think when you cross that tier from Minnesota to Michigan, that – you need a whole nother level of interceptions and haywire to happen to pull out that win. Well, us, us Michigan fans are, are no strangers to crazy upsets. So, you know, that, that Appalachian state game several years back is, is like the, the prototypical upset that, that people always point to. And so we're, we're always cautious. We try not to overlook anybody. And so we definitely will not be overlooking Bowling Green. Um, all right, let me see. I know this is a hard question here because it's week three. We, we haven't really seen the teams play yet. But uh, if you had to answer right now, give me a score prediction for week three, Michigan versus Bowling Green. I'm going to go with 52 to 10. Okay, that, that's reasonable. That's realistic. I feel like you didn't let your, uh, your fanhood or bias cloud your judgment too much there. So uh, Bowling Green gets a touchdown on the board. Uh, follow-up question. Who, who gets that touchdown? Which player gets in the end zone? So, ooh, I didn't think about that. I'm going to go with <laughs> Demetrius Hardiman, one of our defensive ends, because I think the touchdown is going to come on defense or special teams. I think you could see a strip sack. You know, when we played Ohio State a few years ago now, back in 2016, we actually took a 7 nothing lead off a of pick six to start the game. It ended 77-7, to so... You know, but I think that's <laughs> yeah. how you can see a touchdown yeah. happen. I don't think it happened on offense. And, and one thing about me and why sometimes I just like stay off of Twitter for decent amounts of period during the season is I don't let my fandom cloud my judgment. I love Bowling Green more than anything. I mean, I'm blogging about them, tweeting about them. You know, I love it. I got a bunch of the players and coaches. They all follow me, but I'm not going to sit here and say that we have a, a, a close. It's going to be a close game or other things like that, because I kind of pride myself on being an analyst more than just yeah. a fan. And so coming at it with a clear head, you know, that Michigan team is stacked up this year. I think 52 to 10, I wouldn't even be upset if that's what the score actually ended up being. 
Yeah, I love I love that little wrinkle of a, a defensive touchdown. You know, that's I, I can tell you this: if that defensive touchdown happens in the first quarter, every, all of us on the Michigan side are going to be just nervous as hell until <laughs> until that score you know e- evens out again. Um, well, rather than ju- this just being a, a one way street, before we wrap up here, uh, any questions that you might have for me on this Michigan team? I don't know how familiar you are with the roster, but is there? Any- any burning questions you want to ask me as a Michigan guy? Yeah, I'm, I'm decently familiar. I do kind of follow a lot of college football. Like, I think if you knew how many New Mexico or Western Kentucky games that I've seen, I, it's all I do. I just watch college football. I gamble on a ton of the games. Uh, so for Michigan, I don't think I have a, a question you probably haven't considered yourself. Is J.J. McCarthy going to take that step from being a guy who just kind of drives the bus to these wins and looks good sometimes. Could he win the Heisman this year? That's what I want to know. Could he win the Heisman? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, so I'm in, in the Michigan community. I'm kind of known as I, like a, a JJ. I'm a champion for JJ. Almost to a fault. Like I believe he's going to break the all-time Michigan passing record this year. But to be fair, the Michigan passing record is kind of embarrassing. It's 25 passing touchdowns. And to put that in perspective, uh, Joe Burrow threw for 50 passing touchdowns during his you know season with LSU, and so um, I, I think I think an invite to New York is possible. Jim Harbaugh has referenced uh, that they they're going to pass the ball a little bit more. None of us really believe him. You know, we we think they're going to come out and run the ball for sure. That's that's the Michigan identity is running the football. But um, and we just talked talked about this on a podcast that I I just got done recording. Um, we do think that in order to beat the Georgias, the Bamas, the Ohio States, that the ball's going to have to sail through the air a little bit because they, th- those are the teams that can slow down at times this Michigan run, running offense. And I think this Michigan coaching staff knows that they're going to have to sling it uh, earlier in the season to really work out those kinks because you don't want to just run the ball uh, through the non-con and against Rutgers in Indiana only to find out that you, you, you don't have a, a seasoned passing attack against Penn State, Ohio State, and then, you know, into the playoffs. And so that's my long answer, my long-winded way of saying, yeah, I, I think we're going to see J.J. McCarthy take the next step and, and be one of the best, if not potentially uh, the best quarterback in the country this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Because when I've been thinking about who my Heisman dark horse would be, where I'd place a bet, someone who's a flyer, I just can't see it as much with JJ only because you have a great offensive line. You have two great running backs. You're going to have a team like North Carolina who doesn't have a good defense being all these shootouts. Drake may is going to have to throw a bunch of touchdowns. Caleb Williams, same thing. Whereas I think Michigan can, can kind of get out to big leads kind of like Georgia does where it's like, they didn't need Stetson Bennett to have these monster games. Cause they're just going to beat teams and kind of rolling off of that. The running back room. Are you surprised no one transferred, or is it just they're both happy being part of that elite rushing attack, and they know it? It'll it won't really matter for their NFL prospects if they get all the touches or not. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. Uh, Michigan has gone through some times where we did not have the best culture in the locker room, and and you can feel it. And you know, as a fan, as an analyst, as somebody who covers Michigan, you know when the culture in that locker room is off. Uh, now, luckily, the last couple of years, it's really the best culture from the coaching staff to the players to everybody covering you know, the, the team. It's really the best culture that we've experienced. And I think that played into 
Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards being willing to share the the football. Um, I'll tell you what I'm surprised about and or what we were all surprised about. We were surprised that Blake Corum came back. I mean, he he really was was pegged to to go to the NFL draft. Um, but he was coming off a knee injury. I think he he he's the type of player that really wanted to win a national championship. He didn't want to leave his brothers at Michigan behind. And if this was 10 years ago, Blake Corum would have been gone. But the cool thing about NIL is a guy like Blake Corum can set aside the millions, uh, you know, in the NFL and and make a good amount of money just marketing himself as as Michigan's premier guy. So he's able to make just enough money to where he's like, yeah, you know what, I'll come back. And now we have Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, uh, two of probably the top five, at least top ten running backs in the country in the same backfield. So should be a should be pretty special to see. And then I do have another question, and I'm not just doing it to try to get some, you know, fun reaction, but if Michigan, okay, two parts, how is Michigan going to repeat against Ohio State and get that third straight win? And if they do, does Ryan Day get fired? Ooh, I like that. I've thought, I've thought a lot about this. The, so the Ryan Day piece, let's say Michigan wins and they've lost three in a row. You know, if, he did sneak into the playoffs last year, so it's pretty hard to fire a guy that's two years removed from the playoffs. But traditionally in this Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, um, if you don't beat the other team, the coach gets fired. The one exception to that actually is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh went uh, multi, you know, five years in a row without beating Ohio State and kept his job. That's a little bit of an outlier. So um I'm going to, of course, I'm going to say, yes, we're going to beat them because that, like I, I, that, that it would go against everything in my being to say no. Um, and I genuinely believe that we're built, um, uh, we're built in a way to where, uh, we saw, we saw it the last two years that it could be close for a couple quarters, but when you have the offensive line and the running backs and the, the uh, game control that Michigan has, uh, you can blow those games wide open in the third and fourth quarter after you. You, you beat them up for a while. So I, I, um, that's not just my bias perspective. Like I genuinely believe Michigan can do it again and the games at home this year, which is always an advantage in that rivalry or, or any rivalry or any game. Uh, does Ryan day get fired? I'm going to say yes. I, and, and I know that's kind of crazy because he, I mean, the, the guy's record is basically, I mean, you take Nick Saban and Kirby smart out of the equation basically the best record in all of college football. But I don't know if those Ohio State fans and, and followers and boosters are willing to accept three losses in a row uh, to Michigan. So I'm, I'm going to lean towards a yes. That Great question, Mitch. What do you think? You think they'd get rid I'm of him? I'm with you. Yeah, I think he's gone. I think So I'm an Urban Meyer guy all the way just because his first head coaching job was at Bowling Green. I don't know if you knew that. Um, yeah. So I obviously am a huge Urban guy. I don't like Ohio State, though, just because when I went to Bowling Green, you know, you had people who were like, oh, I don't really care about Bowling Green football, but I love Ohio State. And I'm like, but you don't go there. Like, why don't you actually root for the school you go to, even if it's a smaller school? So I never liked him for that. But I think you look at he inherited a team that had never lost to Michigan. Urban Urban Meyer was perfect against Michigan. You're point spread wise favored in every single game you play. So for me, I don't care. Because like you said, he does have a great record. Everyone will be like, he is like, you know, 30 and three in conference games or whatever stat you can throw out there. 
that's fine. I don't give anyone points for beating Indiana. You don't get points for beating Rutgers. You and I could coach Ohio State and beat Rutgers. That's just yeah. the reality <laughs> of football. You have one team to beat, and it's Michigan. And you can't beat them. So I think if he loses a third straight year, you have to get rid of him. And I think that would just be the icing on the cake after the born on third base comments by Harbaugh, which I think were totally deserved. And the fact that were you so another thing I'm curious, were you someone who thought he should have been let go after that COVID season? Because I definitely was. I was like, he can't beat Ohio State. It's not going to happen. And then in 2021, he obviously shuts people like me up, resets the narrative. So were you one of those people who genuinely wanted to give him more time or you were you ready to go? Well, I, there were two two answers to that question. So did he deserve to be let go at that point? I think the answer is like, yes, it would be hard to argue. Um, it would be hard to argue with that. But I stayed in the Harbaugh camp. And I think actually in the Michigan base, uh, that less of us stayed in the Harbaugh camp. More people were on the move on from him uh, side of things. But I just, I had trouble imagining a better fit for Michigan. You know, when you, when you think about coaching and, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, a, a team that had Rich Rodriguez and, and then s- suffered through Brady Hoke. And, and I look at, at Jim Harbaugh, he's a Michigan man through and through. We know, we know he's a winner. He had some 10 win seasons that ended with some bowl losses. He, he couldn't beat Ohio state. And then, you know, at the time I would never say this out loud, but it was almost unfair, you know. Those Ohio State teams were so stacked that j- judging, you know, Harbaugh's entire, you know, five-year career at that point by just that one game was it, it was almost unfair. Even though that typically is how Michigan and Ohio State coaches get evaluated, so I was on the the the, the train of thought that like you you just can't find a better fit for Michigan, um, and thank God for. You know the the Aiden Hutchinson team. You know that that the, thank God that that happened because um, now Harbaugh is where I believe he belongs, which is you know on top of college football, uh, you know with, with all these great names. And so uh, anyway, thanks for letting me rant a little bit about Michigan. That that's that's of course what I love to do. You mentioned you mentioned your blog and and uh, and your you know t- Twitter profile and everything. So. Where can people find you? I want to make sure that all of my followers know where they can get their Bowling Green information from. Yeah, go on Twitter at BG Football Talk. I got a blog. I got a Twitter. I think my goal for this season is to get a website going, uh, make my own website so I don't have to go off of Blogspot and whatnot and just kind of get more fan interaction going. Well, heck yeah, man. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, For Mitch with BG Football Talk, I'm Michael Smeltzer. As always, go blue. And we're back. That was behind enemy lines uh, with my boy Mitch. That was, you know, pretty interesting. We're getting it, you know, getting into the conference pretty soon. And I think what I'm going to do, Matt, because um, I think it'll be a little weird to really start talking about Michigan State, no Penn State, and Ohio State before the season starts. I think I'm going to pause the behind enemy lines segment and then pick that back up uh, each week when those games happen. I just couldn't wait. I had to get the non-conference out of the way. We've we've done East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, but I think I'll wait for the conference games to, and I'll do those 
in season. And of course, I will share that with our listeners uh, here on the Big House Bleachers podcast. But uh, that that just about does it for us this week, man. Any parting words of wisdom? Absolutely not. Love that uh, intel that you're getting for us on the non-con. Obviously, you've got the right idea uh, with waiting for the Big Ten opponents till the time comes. But everybody's waiting for uh, Michigan football to kick off when the season comes. So it never hurts to kind of understand how much we're going to kick each of these guys' ass when the time comes. So. I'm a huge fan of all the work that you're doing um, and uh, hopefully our listeners enjoy it as well. Well, you know what? Uh, where can people find you uh, if they want to follow you or, or, or listen to any of your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. If they want to find me, uh, my personal Twitter handle, handle is at Maze Crusader or they can uh, find any of the great content that me and my buddies are putting out uh, at the Twitter handle at Maze and Brew or our uh, website, mazeandbrew.com. What about you, my friend? Man, I'm pretty much always on Twitter. That's at Wolverine Cron. I also have wolverinechronicle.com. And don't forget, guys, if you want some really cool Michigan swag, Michigan merch, or just some big house bleachers merch, uh, hit up the website, Maze World. That's uh, world without an O, mazeworld.com. Uh, that does it uh, for us. My good friend, Matt Hartwell. I'm Michael Smeltzer. As always, go blue. Go blue.